Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free, and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting brianhanks.com. Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, Season 1, Episode 19. Today we're talking about the five things, the five things that must be done before closing day. Now we've got two episodes left to close out Season 1. I hope you've been enjoying the content. If you've listened this far, I want to say thank you. Um, this is, it's been a good journey for me. I hope it's been a good one for you. And it, by now, I hope you realize that there is a long list of things to do to get into a practice that you own. And between the period of time, between signing a letter of intent and actually owning a practice, there's a long list of things to do. Uh, I provide my clients a closing checklist that has 80 plus items on it. And today we're going to talk about the five essential must-do items to have complete before you close, before you walk through those do doors of a practice that you own, I want you to have at least these five things done. And you'll notice that all five have something in common. They revolve around the theme of two questions. And those two questions are, can I get paid? And can I pay my people? Okay. Those are the five, you know, the five things we're going to talk about all kind of fall within that umbrella. And, uh, you know, think about that logically, it makes sense. It, you, you know, you can't have a business without getting paid and you got to pay your people to keep the business going. So the outline for today's discussion is very simple. The five items we're going to talk about are your business bank account, number two, payroll. You got to have number three, merchant services. We'll talk about what that is and, uh, and some tips around that. Number four, we'll talk about insurance credentialing. And the fifth thing we're going to make sure that you have done and ready to go is bookkeeping. And basic bookkeeping, okay? So let's talk about number one. I, I mentioned it's the business bank account, all right? So uh, if you are, um, <laughs> you know, listening to this podcast, you've got a bank account, you're very familiar with online banking, you are going to go out and get a business bank account that is tied to your business entity. In other words, it is uh, backed and secured by you, but it's your business entity. It's your business EIN or employer identification number that's going to open that account and as a heads up, this is just a, a quick side note for me. It's likely, although not guaranteed, that uh, you are leaving the world of free checking. <laughs> so just prep yourself mentally from that. That is not going to be a huge shift. You're not going to be paying thousands of dollars a year in fees. But, um, you know, you're probably leaving the world of free checking. And for good reason. That business bank account, that business checking account is going to be crucial to your business. And that's why it's the first thing on my list. Um couple things to think about as you're, you know, you're making sure that business bank account is open. The very first thing to keep in mind is to try to remember and find out if it is a requirement to have the business checking account at the same bank that you have your practice loan. Okay. So if you are getting a practice loan from Bank of America or Lendever or Wells Fargo or somebody, do, does your business checking account need to be at the same institution? Some bank loans will require that. They'll say that, hey, you know, part of the terms of this amazing loan that we're giving you uh, is that you have to have, we want more of your business. We want your business checking account. And they may have other requirements too, although the checking account is the most common. Some other things that uh, buyers tell me are huge considerations that I would keep in mind too. If I were walking through the doors of a practice that I owned for the first time, um, in terms of my business checking account would be the location. 
uh, you're going to have cash. You're going to have physical checks. Uh, people are going to pay you with stuff that needs to get to a bank somehow. And, you know, recording this late 2019, early 2020, um, I've worked at some big banks. I know that cash and checks are, you know, they, they say they're destined to go away. As a business owner, you need to plan on the, you know, getting paid in, um, you know, some form that you're going to need to walk to a bank or have a method to deposit somehow. Uh, so my bias would be, at least today, uh, would be to have a location at least close by or have a method to deposit the cash, deposit the checks, whatever that is. Just keep that in mind, okay? Ask the question, how am I going to handle cash? How am I going to handle checks? A third consideration for your business checking account is not an obvious one. This is always a surprise to the buyers I work with. And that doesn't, you know, it, when I think about it, it's not a mystery why this is a surprise, but you need to ask that bank, how good is your accountant access or your read-only access to the business checking account? The reason why accountant access is so important is because it's very likely you're going to outsource bookkeeping and tax returns to someone else, another company. And that company can and should be able to be get into your business checking account, but, but, and this is a big but, um, not be able to actually do anything in the account. You want them to be able to just look at the transactions and be able to categorize them. So accountant access or read-only access to your business checking account takes something off of your plate to do every month. You don't need to download a statement, email it to a bookkeeper, and it, uh, if, if the accountant can just get direct access to the checking account, it makes your life a whole lot easier. Uh, so every bank is going to have some access, uh, almost every bank is going to have some basic access, but what you're going to find is the big banks, uh, big four in the U.S., of course, Citi, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, those four are going to have the software that's the most impressive, the easiest to use, uh, the most familiar to every bookkeeper out there. And so, um, you know, hey, I, I love credit unions and the small local community banks as much as the next person. Um, I would keep those big banks in mind for my business checking account because that software is so user-friendly. Uh, last thing to keep in mind, in my mind, for uh, your choice of a business checking account is whether or not you want to have all of your financial, or as much as your, of your financial life in one place as possible. Uh, can you open your business checking account at the same place you have your personal checking account, the same place you have your credit card, your payroll, your merchant services, et cetera, et cetera? If you can have those all together in the same place, it can make your life simpler and easier. And what you'll find is as a business owner, yeah, I mean, listen, you got to get yourself out of the student mindset, that brand new associate mindset where every dollar counts. And it does. I'm not saying every dollar doesn't count. What I'm saying is it, a more important consideration is your time, the, the efficiency that you run your life, the number of barriers and, and the amount of friction between effective finances and the amount of time take, uh, taken to get there. Okay, so that is your business checking account. That needs to be in place, open, ready to go, well before day one. Um, and the second thing to, that we're gonna talk about, the second um, item you need to have done before you close in your practice is you need to have payroll ready to go. You need to be able to pay your people on day one of practice ownership. And my strong recommendation is that you outsource payroll to an outside company. 
in the hierarchy of your financial life, you know, you may be looking at investment advisors and financial planners, CPAs, uh, you know, bookkeeping companies. The payroll company is far and away the low man on the totem pole. Uh, they are um, the most transactional, the easiest to do, so to speak. And uh, so I highly recommend that you outsource payroll to another company. Um, as a business person, you need to understand what I call managerial economics 101. And that is that you can and should delegate every task in your dental practice to the cheapest person who can do that task. Okay. Uh, your assistant is cheaper than your hygienist, which is why your assistant is helping you with procedures. Your hygienist normally isn't helping you with those procedures because the assistant's cheaper. They can do all the same things. And so the same principle applies to your payroll. Um, another reason that I recommend you outsource it to their, another company is that outsourcing payroll is an additional check and balance to prevent embezzlement. And embezzlement happens with alarming frequency in dental practices. So the more barriers you can provide to embezzlement happening in your practice, the better. Um, two other strong reasons to outsource payroll to another company is that a good payroll company will help with the setup and the state ID numbers that you need to get in place to actually be able to run your payroll. Now, your state ID numbers are going to be likely very, uh, well, without question, they're going to be different than your EIN, right? Your EIN is like your social security number for your business. But if you think about what happens on a pay stub, you've got Medicare, Medicaid, social security, and you've got these line items on a W-2 or a payroll pay stub, and that money is withheld from the employee but the money doesn't stay in your business checking account. It goes somewhere. In order for that money to go to the right place and for you as the employer to get credit for that money going to the right place, you need the correct state ID numbers. You need them set up. You need them set up well before you close on the practice. And sometimes those state ID numbers can be a real pain to get. I set up my own state ID numbers and did the payroll myself um, when I initially set up my business. Oh, man. I was sending paper forms. It was ridiculous. It was such a pain. Uh, it's a one-time thing that you're paying for, but the payroll company, having them help set up with those state ID numbers is huge. And finally, in my mind, the biggest reason to ask uh, to outsource payroll to another company is that you what you're what you're paying for really isn't them, you know, to have a portal to say, uh, Susie Hygienist worked 40 hours this week and her pay rate is, you know, $30 an hour. That's that's the easy part. The tough part and why you're paying a payroll company is that you're paying to help them with IRS and state tax issues. I am willing to bet that the very first letter you get from the IRS is going to have something to do with payroll. You're going to be off by two pennies on some quarterly payroll tax statement and paying a payroll company to be able to forward them a picture of that letter from the IRS and say, hey, will you take care of this please and let me know when it's done? That is worth every penny. Finally, one other thing to ask about with a payroll company is ask them about 401k integrations. You may not, and you probably shouldn't have a 401k open on day one of your practice, but you probably and should have one, and hopefully soon after you open a practice. And having a payroll company that's able to integrate with most of the main payroll, uh, the 401k providers and custodians is a huge deal. It'll take some uh, work and effort off of you, you and your front desk. So that is number two, payroll company. Honestly, worth every penny, $100 to $180 a month. It's a no-brainer. Outsource it. Number three, merchant services. 
Now, merchant services is the fancy term the finance people give to the credit card reader in the office, okay? So I come in, I do some in-office whitening in your office, and I pay for it with a credit card. I put my credit card in the credit card reader. The big question is, where's that money going? If you haven't set up merchant services by the time you close on the practice, my payment for the teeth whitening could go to the seller, and that would be bad for you, <laughs> right? You want the money. So... Um, I recommend that you get merchant services moved over into your business's name before you close on the practice. Now, I tend to have a pretty strong bias towards the existing equipment or the existing merchant services provider. Whoever is doing it in the office is probably your best choice for day one. Um, it is notoriously difficult to price compare between merchant services providers. And so I, it's not that it's not worth your effort but it may not be worth your effort on day one. Give it a few months. If you feel like you could do better somewhere else or you want to price shop and compare, that's great. Take care of it You know, a few months into the process of owning a business. Uh, but from day one, if you have the existing equipment that's already tied into the software, it'll make your life a lot easier. Aim for merchant services fees of about 1.5% of collections. Now that's give or take. That's going to depend a little bit on how many people, how many patients pay with insurance, with cash, with credit cards, the type of uh, office you have, PPO versus fee-for-service. Uh, but in general, the rule that I see is around 1.5% of total collections, total collections, okay? Um, you know, if you're collecting a million dollars, that'd be $15,000 of merchant services fees, which is a big number. And so this is an area that you can and should be aware of, keep track of, and, um, and make sure that you're on top of. So see what the seller has been paying. If they're paying two, two and a half, three percent of collections towards merchant services, sure, go ahead, switch. And, and switch early. That's a great. But if they're anywhere near 1.5%, you're probably okay for those first few months. Now, what if you're not sure how to do that? What if you're not sure how to tell what percentage of the practice income and practice collections is being paid on merchant services? Well, you can watch this in action in the Practice Purchase Blueprint course that I created. You can see exactly where to look on what line of a tax return to see that number, how to do the math, and how that percentage compares to averages. And that's not just for merchant services. I go into depth on what a normal range looks like for supplies, for lab fees, rent, advertising, and a whole lot more. So I mean, nothing compares to seeing it happen live and then having your own version of a tax return or a, or a P&L to follow along with. So in fact, you can watch the first practice analysis for free at practicepurchaseblueprint.com. Use the code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, PODCAST. If you use that code at checkout, you get $100 off your order. Okay, let's finish up with our last two items. The last two are, number four is insurance credentialing which is a huge topic, okay? I am not going to be, pretend to be an insurance credentialing expert on this podcast. However, I'm gonna give you some of the basics so you know the questions to ask, okay? And the first question I get from most buyers is, hey, aren't I already credentialed? I've got an NP, NPI number, what, what's the deal? I've, I've, you know, I'm credentialed with most of the, uh, the in-network options in the office I'm buying anyway. You know, I think I'm good. The answer is you are not good. <laughs> you need what's called an NPI 2 number. And that NPI number is tied to your business firm, not you as an individual doctor. You'll still keep that NPI 1 number, 
but you need an MPI 2 number, which means you need a practice to be able to buy, which means you need a business entity to tie it to, and which means you've got to have a signed LOI in place before you can contact those insurance companies and start the credentialing process. What insurance credentialing experts tell me is the average time for a buyer to get credentialed with insurance companies is around 90 days. So you can see the problem. Um, you know, that 90 days is fuzzy. It sometimes can be a little shorter, but it can be longer than that. And Medicaid, of course, is on the outside of 120 days plus. So the problem becomes that 90 days is longer than most transitions take for, between signing an LOI and closing on the practice. In addition to that, some sellers and brokers throw up roadblocks. They're slow to get you the list of providers. They have restrictions on what mail can and can't go to the office. And so a lot of buyers ask me, well, what am I supposed to do here? I need help. I need to get paid. And I don't want to charge out-of-network or to get reimbursed for out-of-network rates for doing all this work for the first few months. What do I do? My solution is um, to rely on, on help. There is paid help out there. If you need a recommendation, um, I've got several good names around the country that do a great job. Um, I will just say that this is uh, a couple principles to keep in mind. This is a really good reason to meet the staff, okay? So you can use this as a reason to put in front of a broker, put in front of a seller, say, hey, I've got a signed LOI. I know you don't want me to meet the staff. I know you want to keep this a secret, but I've got to get credentialed. Can I at least meet the office manager so that we can start this process? Um, the last comments they'll make around insurance credentialing is that a, everyone struggles here. Everyone has ner nerves and struggles around this. And B, everyone gets through it. <laughs> Every buyer I touch base with a few months after transition says, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm done. It's kind of a pain, but I I'm, I'm got through it. So my advice is start ASAP as soon as you're able. You probably won't finish or you, you may not finish, probably won't. But start on it as soon as possible so that the time between closing on the practice and being in network with all of those insurance companies is as short as possible. Okay, the fifth item on our list is bookkeeping. Have bookkeeping, have a bookkeeper and a dental bookkeeper done, ready to go, ready to categorize your financial statements and get you monthly financial statements on day one of your practice. All right, you're going to pay someone and what you're paying them for isn't the categorizing of is that Benco bill lab fees or dental supplies. What you're really paying them for is what I think of as financial imaging for your business. It is their job to tell you what is going well and what is not. It's probable that this is going to be the same person as your CPA or the same company as your CPA. Um, it just it makes their life a lot easier to have end of year closing on your tax return. There's no mystery of what's going to be on your tax return. They have depreciation issues figured out ahead of time. Uh, so I would recommend that your bookkeeper is the same as your dental CPA. You can do this a week to three weeks prior to closing and make sure you ask them for tax training. They're going to tell you things like how many checking accounts to have, have one, you know, how many credit cards to have, et cetera, and so forth. So those are the five things. We talked about the business bank account, payroll, merchant services, insurance credentialing, and bookkeeping. Um, have those done. Have them ready to go on day one. Thanks for listening to episode 19. As always, if you found this free content helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you left a review for on iTunes or sent this podcast to, uh, to podcast link to a friend because it really helps others find the show. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on episode 20 when I'm going to tell you how and when to pay yourself as an owner. Until then, I'm Brian Hanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast.
For more information about Brian's best-selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchase Blueprint course, visit brianhanks.com. Thank <laughs> you.